I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Uh, let's start off with this. Um, the audio for me this week uh, is not going to be great just because I'm on vacation. So I'm taping through Zoom. And it'll sound like I'm on the phone, although my guest, Stuart Mandel, editor-in-chief of The Athletic, um, should sound good. His audio is clean. And I wanted to get him on this week because it's been obviously a crazy 10 days, 12 days, 14 days in college football when it comes to realignment. Um, And uh, The Athletic staff, including Stu, has just done great, great work on this. And so he's come on to discuss the media aspect of this. And and I did want to do something just... uh, because obviously so many people are interested in this and and wanted to get uh, perspective from, again, somebody who's in the middle of this. And before we get to Stu, I just want to point out, man, uh, the Kevin Brown Orioles situation is just an absolute joke. Um, this is one of the great young announcers in baseball. And how on earth do you take the guy off the air? And uh, credit to Awful Announcing, uh, my colleague Brick Giroli for getting some details on this. But how do you take this guy off the air? Uh, for essentially uh, reporting a truism uh, or truisms. And it's been great to see the the baseball people around the, the country, the Michael Kays and the Gary Cohens, just lit, light into the Orioles for an absolutely uh, disgraceful thing. I will say, you know, I, I, I have talked to Kevin Brown in the past, and 10 days ago I emailed the Orioles because I wanted to do a column on what it's like calling a team that had the kind of turnaround the Orioles have had. Because I think readers, and I wrote this to Orioles, readers nationally can relate to when a franchise flips from struggling to title contenders. Um, and they declined me uh, for Kevin Brown. <laughs> and it, you know, they just said, we're not able to accommodate the request at this time. Um, and I don't think much of it other than, you know, when talking to people cover the Orioles, you know, it's just a little too much paranoia and stuff. But um, man, like you got a great guy like Kevin Brown. One, put him out there because he's such a great representative of your franchise. And two, do not punish the guy when all he says is that you have not been a great team in the past and now you are a great team. It's like Twilight Zone stuff. So anyway, um, an absolute joke. Uh, the Orioles need to do better and hopefully they will. With that coming up, a terrific conversation with Stuart Mandel of The Athletic on the craziness of college football realignment. All right. As I said at the top, we bring in Stuart Mandel, editor-in-chief of college football at The Athletic. And again, my apologies uh, for the audio. I'm uh, I'm away this week, but I did want to do something on uh, 
what has been one of the most absolutely insane stretches in college football uh, when it comes to realignment and few better than Stuart Mandel when it comes to this topic. Stu, first, thank you for uh, joining me on the sports media podcast. I'm hoping the information, you know, will not change in the next hour. So oh, that this, I uh, wouldn't assume that. Podcast, <laughs> podcast doesn't become old, but we'll, we'll do what we can do. Um, all right. In what has been obviously just an insane 14-day stretch, um, can you sort of clarify for my audience the role that big television here, Fox and ESPN, played in what ultimately has become um, four remaining schools in what was once the Pac-12 and obviously a number of these schools heading to both the Big Ten and the Pac-12? I think uh, Fox in particular played a huge role in the demise of the Pac-12. Now, conference realignment has always been tied to TV. You know, I'm not going to go on a huge history lesson, but there was a Supreme Court decision in 1984 uh, that that ended the NCAA's monopoly on TV, TV rights, and schools and conferences were allowed to negotiate their own. And ever since then, every move you've seen, from Notre Dame going to NBC to Penn State going to the Big Ten all the way to today, has been just jockeying for TV money. Um, there's been rumors, there's been conspiracy theories all along the way about you know, just how aggressive the te television networks are in this. But I think in the case of the Pac-12, um, you know, the big t the, the, Fox has a very unique relationship now with the ESPN. They actually own the media rights to the Big Ten. They, they you know, when you see like NBC and CBS are now partners, they're actually sub-licensing those games from Fox. So obviously they have a lot of reasons to want the Big Ten to be as strong as possible. And if they can get big brand teams out of other leagues that they don't necessarily have full control over into this one, you know, that's to their benefit. And so I think that was a big reason why USC and UCLA left the Pac-12 last year, which began this big period of instability. Um, and then fast forward to now, now ever since that day, um, the Pac-12 has obviously been under a lot of pressure to get a TV deal that would be high enough for their members to want to stay. And, for many reasons, for various reasons, George Klyakov, the commissioner, wasn't really able to pull that off. The deal that they did get from Apple, you know, you can debate whether that was a good deal or not. The guaranteed money was not what they were hoping it to be, but there was a chance to make a lot more through through um, subscription sales. So in Oregon, so all the schools, when that came out, started scrambling to look to see if there's better options. Some of them knew the Big 12 wanted them. Oregon and Washington went to the, back to the Big Ten, who had ignored them in the past. And the Big Ten turned to Fox and said, hey, can you give us the money for this? And they did. And so I don't think it's a stretch to say that the Pac-12 and the I mean, lots of things contributed to the death of the Pac-12 over the last 12 years. Many of them self-inflicted, but kind of the final blow was the Pac-12 looking at Oregon and I mean, sorry, Fox taking a look at Oregon and Washington and saying, yeah, that'd be nice. Well, we could we could put them on Friday nights. We could we could do more um, late night games on Saturdays. Here's thirty two point five million dollars a year. And here we are. You've done a lot of reporting on this, Stuart. What did you learn about the Apple offer? Ultimately, what was the Apple offer to the Pac-12? Um, having read you, having read others, I think it's sort of very clear why some of the uh, conference uh, presidents, athletic directors ran from that. But what did your reporting tell you about that Apple offer? It was very similar to what they do for the MLS with the MLS League Pass. They would have established a Pac-12 product, let's just call it Pac-12 League Pass, 
Uh, I don't think anybody knows the exact number, but, it, you know, let's say $100 a year, something like that. That would have been your only way to watch Pac-12 sports. There would not have been, um, well, there were no guarantees, I should say, that you would be able to get some Pac-12 games on Fox or ESPN and so forth. Uh, the only thing they knew for sure is that Apple would have them. The initial offer was for $23 million a year per school guaranteed. Keep in mind, you know, their measuring stick was the Big 12, who's getting $31.7 million per school. They eventually countered that up to $25 million, but still well short of the Big 12 number. But what Apple and George Kalkoff were trying to sell these schools on is they were going to get a cut of the revenue from, the subscript, from people who signed up to subscribe for this thing, plus advertising revenue um, and so on and so forth. And so his sales pitch was, hey, if we get to um, around 2 million subscribers, you'll make what the Big 12 makes. And if we can get to 3, 4 million subscribers, you're going to make way more than the Big 12 makes. You're going to make close to what the SEC and Big 10 make. And so these schools had to make a decision. You know, there's a potential for huge upside, but it's not guaranteed. We'd be taking a risk. We'd be putting possibly all our games behind a paywall, behind a streaming service when other conferences are on. ESPN and Fox and NBC and CBS. From what I understand, at least seven of the nine schools were still ready to sign off on it. And Oregon, Washington, 11th hour decided, you know, an offer from the Big Ten, even at a greatly reduced share, you know, was was hard to pass up. You know, what's interesting, Stu, is that like, I understand like the, I, I understand why any school would have turned that apple deal down because i think it's uh i think i think it's a big ask to um you know i think it's a big ask to count on whatever the subscription numbers would be in terms of one getting to the big 12 number and then two it's like fantasy land to me to get to the uh to the big 10 number there are some people who sort of kicked around and i think it's kind of an interesting thing that you know, this idea of going with Apple is like five to 10 years just early. Yeah. And if it's, you know what I mean? If it's 2033, well, this turns out to be like really where things should be going. But from my perspective, and I imagine from yours too, what's very clear, even that, even with linear television declining in power in households, it's so vital to these college administrators and presidents, right? To still be on linear television or, or at a minimum, ESPN, Fox Sports 1, cable television. Yeah, because even if every fan of every Pac-12 school subscribed to that service, you're you're basically walling it off to just them. Alabama fans, Ohio State fans, they're not going to pay 100 bucks a year to be able to watch Pac-12 football. So, the, so on a Saturday, if I'm flipping around the dial and I'm watching Big Ten, I'm watching SEC, the Pac-12 just never enters the picture, right? So that was risky. Um you know, recruits, if you're trying to recruit athletes, many of whom come from economically disadvantaged homes, they're not going to necessarily uh, fork over for an Apple Plus subscription to watch the teams that are recruiting them. So I get it. I mean, I think you could say, or a regional person could say, well, this is the future, you know, in Apple. It's Apple. It's this, you know, hugely successful company. You would be dumb not to get on board with them early on before this becomes kind of universal. We know that more and more major sports are shifting to streaming. There's going to be an NFL playoff game on Peacock. That's, you know, I think I don't know how many people even realize that, but they'll realize it when the time comes. But like you said, like you, can't, you can't bet on 2030 and 2023. And keep in mind, 
This is a conference whose schools got burned once before. Larry Scott, 12 years ago, the Pac-12 network, very similar, right? We're going to launch a, a conference network all on our own. Nobody's ever done this before. But look at the upside. If, if we get to X number of subscribers, we're going to make this much revenue in us and we get to keep it all for ourselves. And they bought that. And then it never came close to delivering on that. So it would have been hard to convince that same, it's, I mean, there's been a lot of turnover, but it's the same schools to take another chance on a kind of a newish platform. You reported that Apple offered the Pac-12 a five-year deal with an annual base of $23 million per school, then a counteroffer to kick it up to $25 million, and then incentives based on projective subscribers. Um you know, it could obviously go higher. Has anything since your reporting of that, has anything changed in terms of the numbers that you um, discovered? Uh, it seems like if nothing else, uh, not just your reporting, but other people's reporting, like those seem to be essentially right around the numbers of what Apple was ultimately promising in terms of a base. And then in terms of whatever incentives, obviously, could be gotten given how many subscriptions would come? Um, the base is definitely right. The The upside stuff is complicated. Uh, in fact, even today, I was told that the number, it, you can't, it's not as simple as saying you needed X number of subscriptions to get to this much revenue because there was also going to be advertising money. Um, they were going to possibly sell some game. Here, I'll break this on your podcast. They were possibly going to sell like the conference championship game as a one-time pay-per-view event, basically. So even people, wow. yeah, people who uh, didn't have the, the season-long pass could still pay to watch that game. So there's a lot of factors that would have gone into how much revenue they made. And the other thing, and this is not new, is there was an out clause. If after two years uh, it wasn't hitting a certain revenue benchmark as promised, then the, they could get out of it for year three. Um, Washington's president when she finally commented public on this, kind of took a shot at that and said something like, if, the, if one of the biggest selling points of a deal is that you can get out of it, that's not a good sign. I, I mean, again, yeah, you know, I sort of just look at this from someone who's written about media for a long time. Like, <laughs> when it comes to pay-per-view, Stu, like, this has to be something, the, the things that do very well on pay-per-view are things that are generally, I would consider, like, an attraction. You know, like Logan Paul fighting X. Whether you like Logan Paul or not, or Jake Paul, I'm sorry. Whether you like Jake Paul or not, like that's attraction based. UFC has always been attraction based. You want to buy pay per view for like uh, WrestleMania? That's attraction based. The idea of a Pac-12 college football championship in terms of who would buy that other than the diehards at the s alumni from that singular school, man. I I don't know. Maybe I'm off. I don't think any of us know what the audience would have been even for the. It, like you know i've heard ever since I, right? yeah i mean yeah. You, ever since i put those numbers out there i've had people say oh they would have hit that easily and i've had other people say oh no chance i don't know about that yeah, yeah. no chance i mean i don't think what people are counting for is this would have been the only way to watch pac-12 sports so if i'm right. an oregon fan i'm a cal fan i'm a washington fan like i don't have a choice am i going to just stop watching my team entirely i probably have to subscribe to this thing right and so i don't know you somebody would have to like count up uh, how many season ticket holders does each school have and how many, you know, to try to get a, get a better sense of that. But in terms of like a one-off like that championship game, you know, I can't imagine that would be a major driver. The only thing is in that, you know, we're going to a 12-team playoff with uh, the highest, it was going to be six highest ranked, it'll probably be five now, champions get in automatically. So in that sense, like the Pac-12 championship game going forward would have been a 
round of 16 game kind of so maybe there would have been more interest because of that but i don't think that was going to be a main attraction two things here uh the big 10 negotiates a new deal in six years so oregon and washington in theory um they may have to sort of obviously be quote unquote a little cash poor for a couple of years but you know come the next big 10 deal they get whole and that should be a great situation for them so i would imagine you think that you know they at least found a nice landing spot. And then I want to, of course, get into Cal and Stanford, who are two interesting schools that are just sitting out there. But how did you feel Oregon and uh, and Washington eventually did after all this shook out? I mean, that that's the ultimate landing spot, right? Is either the Big Ten or the SEC. They make the big money. You know, you don't have to worry about them breaking up anytime soon. Um, I think it was, I don't, I, I've been told by many, many people, it was not a no-brainer for Oregon and Washington. First of all, you have the blood of, of, you know, killing the Pac-12 on your hands. Um, yep. You're sending not just your football team, but all of your athletes on a lot of long road trips to play games in faraway places that is, you know, going to be a tremendous burden. We USC and UCLA had committed to doing that. Um, Oregon and Washington arguably are even further away from a lot of those schools. And Oregon... One of the reasons I think Oregon really, really wanted to make the Pac-12 work is that playoff I'm talking about. Oregon is a is one of those programs that considers itself a national championship contender. And if it had been an eight-team or a ten-team Pac-12, they wouldn't have had to compete with that many um, teams to get in the playoff every year. Now you're going to an eighteen-team Big Ten that has Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, USC, just a bunch of, of powerhouses. I mean, it's not inconceivable that Oregon goes from being a, a team that usually wins about 10 games a year to a team that goes seven and five a lot. And then the fans are unhappy and the coach gets fired. And we've seen, by the way, this cycle over and over, you know, teams jump to another conference because of the money and then they find it to be much harder competitively. So they did find a good landing spot in terms of being able to fund their athletic department, but I'd love to see five, 10 years from now, how they feel about the competitive side of it. And what about, uh, what about Cal and Stanford? in terms of what their future holds? As of the, this recording right now, no idea. Maybe they'll get an invitation to the ACC here in a little bit. I don't know. Um, maybe they go to the... But, like, I think the thing with Cal and Stanford is they've become the ultimate poster for the hypocrisy of, you know, all these college presidents. And when it comes to conferences, oh, it's all about academics, and we want to be aligned with similar institutions and high academic. And then it's like the Pac-12 breaks apart, and those are two of the only four that you didn't take. Um, right. You know, Stanford, number one, close to number one university in the country, definitely the best performing athletic department in the country, even if it's not in football and men's basketball. And they're the ones being left out in the cold, right? But there was a landing spot for five other teams and uh, seven other teams in the, what am I? Yeah, seven other teams in the Pac 12. So, um, you know, I think that that's come, they've come to symbolize what you were talking about off the top, the role of TV. If TV doesn't think you're valuable, then you're not valuable. And a lot of people right now are scratching their heads going, what is, what is going to happen? Uh, it's, very, it's, it's, it's very hard for me to fathom Stanford and Cal joining the Mountain West. It just, it, 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 would, uh, it would be not just a big downgrade in money, but the type of schools that they're playing against – you know, is Stanford still going to be able to recruit Olympians if they're selling them on coming and playing in the Mountain West or the AAC? So that's why they're holding out hope. Maybe, maybe possibly an invite to the ACC. 
maybe once the dust settles, they could go back and see if the Big Ten will consider going to 20. But it's it's uh, they're, they're scrambling. It's a really bad spot to be in. You know, one of the things that um, was pretty clear at Sports Illustrated, too, and is definitely clear at The Athletic, is just how much interest there is in realignment um, content. Um, and I imagine you have seen that, certainly, in the last uh, week or so. So, I mean, I know it's kind of a simple question, but why is that? Is it is it just that, like, you have a at least some kind of base of people who are really interested in where their college football team is going to play? Or is it something deeper than that that speaks to, like, the end of regional rivalries or just, like, the chaos that ensues with college football? Have you thought about, like, you know, the, the reality is your stories probably will get more traffic this week than if you wrote some really deep feature, right, on whoever the best player in college football is this year. It's, like, always fascinating to me, but I've now seen it over multiple decades for multiple publications. Well, you know, we started running a few weeks ago, our, our second, because it did so well the first time, Realignment Revisited series, a bunch of stories about realignment moves in the past, not knowing there would be actual live realignment that would happen during the middle of it. And those stories do extremely well. It's it's the number one topic of fascination uh, in college football. And, and yeah, I have given a lot of thought to that. I think, you know, I, there's there's many different theories. I mean, for one thing, we don't have in college football a trade deadline. Uh, we are starting to get free agency because of the transfer portal. Um, but but it's not, um, you know, how in, in – uh, we don't fantasy sports. We don't have, like, Bill Simmons coming up with eight-way trades in the NBA, right? Our version of that is with teams and schools. But I also think it's just – it's a soap opera. It really is. I mean – so many famous moments over the years. I mean, the last week, the the Oregon Board of Regents meeting, where they officially voted to join the Big Ten, which was conducted over Zoom, the chairman of the board was playing golf. Anybody, and, and it was a public meeting. Anybody could see it. I heard him at one point ask for his sandwich. He's about to destroy a whole conference, and he's doing it while on the golf course. It's stuff like that that people can't seem to get enough of and it's like the backstabbing and the maneuvering now most fans will say they hate it like i hate that the pac-12 is dying i hate that this rivalry is going away and this rivalry is going away we like we hate the end result of it but all the maneuvering and scheming and you know suddenly in the past year everybody on twitter became experts on um tv market share and and uh you know, conference revenue per school and et cetera. It became almost like between the Big 12 and Pac-12, it became like a scoreboard. Who was going to end up with the more lucrative TV deal? So um, I think it's our palace drama, uh, soap opera, whatever you want to call it. And um, and people, even when there is no realignment going on, we actually went through about a six-year phase there where there wasn't anything going on. People would still write into my mailbag asking, What's next? What's going to be the next realignment? Who's going to move here? Is Notre Dame ever going to join a conference? It's just endlessly fascinating. If you had to guess um, where all this sort of like is going to sit three years from now, particularly on the media side, like are we going to get to an AFC-NFC kind of situation where it's, I don't know, two power conferences essentially run by ESPN and Fox? You know, it seems like maybe there's room for four of these where – Obviously, ESPN and Fox play a major role, but, you know, there's contracts, obviously, with CBS, NBC, Notre Dame still sitting out there with its NBC deal. Um, 
if I had to guess, and this is just me sort of pure guessing on this point, that there's it seems like we are heading for like college football in some ways as its own sort of breakaway business. And then maybe I, I don't know how long this will take, you know, 10, 15 years down the road. You know, the other sports maybe have their own rights agreements and maybe even uh, uh, conferences that are different than football. But, I, you know, I'm just sort of spitballing here. I do. What's your thought? I know it can change in a day, but what's your thought is if we're going to look medium term? I mean, I think I don't think it's going to be that different medium term. But long if we talk like a decade from now, I mean, look what look what Fox just did with the Pac-12. They basically went in and said, we want these four schools and none of the rest. Right. That maximizes our ratings. If we have these four schools playing Ohio State, Michigan, et cetera, instead of each other. That, so I, I think that's going to be the end game here. Um, but it won't be the Big Ten goes to 35 teams or something like that. I think, you know, I always bring up the Premier League as the equivalent. Um, so many parallels between what led up to the Premier League and what's what this, I think, is leading up to, which will be at, uh, taking all the best brand schools from across the country, top 28, 32, whatever you want to call it, and, and whether it's a... TV network or a private equity firm or somebody somebody with a lot of money is going to come in and say, we'll pay you gazillion dollars if you'll leave, if Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, that you no longer play. You can keep your other sports in the Big Ten, but football is going to play in this new college football version of the Premier League. And, and, it, and you know, it'll, it'll be the NFL, but with college players. Um, you know, it's hard to, to forecast when that would happen because all of the uh, you know, all the conferences are on different timelines, and you know the the SEC, the Big Ten's TV deal will come up again. It's just you know starting a new one right now. It'll come up again before the SEC's comes up for the next time. So they're never on, all on the same page. But at some point, I think that something like that will happen. Here's the last one I, I sort of got to ask you. Like, and again, I don't think um, you know I'm not sure how much the conferences are sort of worried about this, but. You know, they're, they're, the reality of, of all this, Stu, in terms of, like, viewership and metrics is that, like, you know, every pack, uh, every Big Ten game isn't going to, like, rate mega. Every SEC game is not going to rate massively. You know, every Big 12 game certainly is not going to rate. Like, th- there are, there'll always be Michigan-Ohio State, and obviously that's massive, and, you know, 15, 17, maybe if you get lucky, 20 million viewers. But there's also going to be, you know, like, Wisconsin blowing out Rutgers that may draw like 900,000, you know, it, yeah. it's in some ways there are sure things in all of this, but there's also a lot of matchups that are not close to any kind of sure thing when it comes to viewership. Well, I think, <clears throat> and that's another thing, by the way, realignment has, has made it so that when I tweet out the top five games, TV games of the week, everybody goes mad. Um, it's it's what you're starting to notice is just the disparity between like Ohio State, Michigan, Alabama, even to like the next down. Like when Fox shows Ohio State playing Maryland, it gets four million viewers. Um, you know they can they can put them against just about anybody. And so um, I was looking at some numbers just today actually, because somebody asked me in my mailbag. And it's a good question. You know the big the Pac-12 was unable to get a thirty million dollar per team TV deal, and yet. Six of its schools ended up getting exactly that in another conference. Why is that? Why didn't they just pay for the whole Pac-12? Well, when Oregon played Ohio State in a non-conference game on Fox two years ago, it got almost 8 million viewers, just a a blockbuster number. 
when Oregon played Utah later that season, Oregon was the number three team in the country. It was an ABC primetime game, playoff implications. It got like 4.8 million viewers. So it just shows you the power of these top few brands. And so I totally see, I mean, I hate what it's doing to the Pac-12. I think it's really um, not in the spirit of college sports. But yeah, they're they're consolidating so that they have more of those kind of games and less of the ones you're talking. You know, they can stick, you know, Fox owns the Big Ten Network now. They own a majority of, share of it. They can just take those those bad games that you just described and stick them all on the Big Ten Network. And just nothing but nothing but bangers in the in the Fox noon window. I mean, look at NBC and CBS paying all the money they did to have the number two and number three Big Ten games every week. Um, they clearly think that that's going to be big brands, attractive matchups most weeks. And then Big Ten Network will get the rest of them. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Here's my last one for you. Listen, as somebody who really cares about women's basketball and covered it, um... I see all this stuff and I understand that football drives the boat, but man, it really, it saddens me. And it also ticks me off that some of these like great rivalries that I've seen in women's basketball or, you know, I'm a big fan of like uh, the Olympic sports, whether it's track and field or swimming, you know, the PAC 12 was amazing at this stuff, you know, conference of champions for a reason. Stanford basically produces Olympian after Olympian, all these sports. And I don't know what the future is now. I, I I mean, I presume that the great programs will still be great no matter what conference they're in. But, man, it sucks because, like, there was something great about, like, Cal playing Stanford at Maples Pavilion in women's basketball with, like, a lot on the line. And, like, it feels like all that's now done. And it's not just rivalries. Like, how do you fund these teams? You know, the first uh, – I live 20 minutes from Stanford, full disclosure. Um, I have a seven-year-old daughter. I like to take her to Stanford women's basketball games, Stanford softball games. And the first thing I thought of is, how are they going to fund those teams? You know, they they rely on, uh, it's not their only revenue source, but a big chunk of it is the Pac-12 TV money. And if that goes away and you've got to go play in the Mountain West and make, you know, $7 million a year instead of $30 million a year, how are you going to fund all those other teams? And and that's the crisis they're going. I mean, imagine being Tara Vandeveer right now. How are you going to continue to recruit the best players in the country, Cameron Brink and Haley Jones and so on and so forth, to go play, I hate to say it this way because it seems like I'm disparaging someone, but just for sake of random ones here, and tell them you're going to go play San Jose State and Boise State and Fresno State instead of UCLA, USC, et cetera. Um, it's, it's, like you said, it sucks. There's, there's no other way to put it. And um, I hope at some point, College sports is not big on common sense. They're not good on doing radical things. They're not good at coming together for the greater good. But obviously, my thing is play whoever you want in football. It's four road trips a year. Um, you know, it's it's what everybody's paying for. Play whoever you want in football, and then take all the other sports and put them back where they belong. The West Coast teams should play the West Coast teams in the non-revenue sports. You know, the, the Midwest team should play the Midwest teams and so on and so forth. It's common sense. It'll probably take them 15 years to figure it out. 
Uh, is there anything that you want to add that I didn't ask you before I let you get out of here? Uh, just a little bit of a plug, I guess. Um, I mentioned it before, but The Athletic has done this realignment revisited series over the last few weeks, looking back at, at some pretty famous moments. And it's it's interesting because at the time, nobody will, when you're in real time, nobody will tell you anything. And then 10, 15 years later, you go back and ask people and they give you all the good details. And then I can't say enough about our team's coverage of the Pac-12 situation and all the, the aftermath of it. Nicole Auerbach, Chris Benini, Max Olson, uh, David Oven, many others who have now accidentally left out, Scott Dockerman. Um, we like to think we have the best, most comprehensive coverage of anybody. Stuart Mandel is the editor-in-chief of The Athletic's college football coverage. Uh, he has been incredibly busy over the last uh, two weeks, along with uh, many of my other colleagues, uh, just churning out copy after copy. And uh, in some ways, it's only the beginning. Stu's really going to be one of the most anticipated college football seasons in history because it's going to be obviously just massively different after this year. So in some ways, I, I know this is weird, but in some ways, like it probably will get a viewership pop because you're not going to see a lot of this again. It's like ironic. Well, this is the, it all lines up. This is the, not only just conference realignment. This is the last season of the 14 playoff. So you turn the page to 2024. Oklahoma and Texas will be in the SEC. USC, UCLA, Oregon, Stanford will be in the Big Ten. There's new teams in the Big 12. And, oh, by the way, we're going to have a 12-team playoff. It's going to be a completely different sport. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, Stuart Mendel, uh, on a busy uh, busy stretch, thank you for uh, popping on the Sports Media Podcast. Yeah, Richard. Thanks for having me. All right. Uh, I want to thank Stu Mandel for coming on on what is a really, really busy week for him. Again, apologies for my audio. I'm, uh, I'm not in my usual studio. Uh, I'm away, uh, but I did want to do something I thought it was important. So I appreciate uh, um, people listening, even though the, the quality will always be better. That's definitely on me, not on Patrick Antonetti, uh, for sure. Head to the archives if you like this stuff. We just had a media roundtable with Chad Finn and Austin Karp. Uh, Becky Lynch was on the show uh, last week. Andrea Carter of uh, ESPN, uh, a, uh, you know, a really um, rising, uh, rising star in the business when it comes to basketball. Did something with Taylor Twelman and Paul Tenorio on whether Messi can make a difference. Uh, Michael Nathanson on how Disney will handle uh, ESPN heading forward. And then we had the student journalist at the Daily Northwestern reporting on Pat Fitzgerald. Um, if you could leave us a five-star review and a nice note, that always helps. Thank you to Patrick Antonetti for his hard work on this one. Thanks to everybody at Odyssey for their support. Most of all, thank you for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.